0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This morning we're going to continue in this series called Adorn. Uh, by talking, as I shared with you last week, by talking to men, older men specifically. Uh, That is to be contrasted to younger men. I'll get more into that in just a second. So uh, really, I want to talk to those who are husbands and fathers, those who have uh, a measure of age uh, to them. We're not talking about a specific age. There is no specific age in the Bible that says you're older. Uh, But I want to talk to you uh, men this morning. Here's what Titus chapter 2 says. It says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. This is the Apostle Paul talking to Titus, a young man. He he may not qualify for the older man part of this, but a younger man uh, to be a teacher. He is supposed to teach sound doctrine. Verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, In all things, show yourself, he goes back to Titus here, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And finally, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Last week, we we launched into this series called Adorn in which I made the case that all of us as Christians are called to adorn the gospel. We are called to put, and the picture that I gave you last week uh, was that we are to put the frame around the Mona Lisa. We are to put the frame around the masterpiece. This is what our lives are supposed to Uh, supposed to do. Every day of our life, we're supposed to live a godly existence. We're supposed to live a holy existence. We're to be uh, zealous for good deeds. And why are we to do so? Not so that we might save ourselves, not so that we might pay God back for the salvation he purchased for us, but instead to adorn, to frame in that beautiful masterpiece that alone belongs to God. It's just a beautiful truth, okay? And so we're called to adorn the gospel, Now in Titus chapter 2, he specifically says these words, he says, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And many people look at that and say, uh, he told us to adorn the doctrine of God. He didn't tell us to adorn the gospel. Well, we have to move forward a couple of verses and we'll see that this is included in the gospel. And so I just want to take a brief second to show you that the gospel is far bigger than preachers preach. The gospel is far bigger than Jesus loves you. Please understand this, church. The gospel is far larger than this. He says that he wants us to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. And then verse 11 says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Don't we all know that that's the gospel? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. But look at what the gospel also does. This is amazing. "...the the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desire, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age." It's amazing to think that the gospel includes instruction. The gospel includes a way of living. And this ties in to what I've taught for very, a very long time. And that is that we are not just saved from something, church. We are saved to something. We are not just given good news that we're no longer to pay for our sins. That's great news, Amen. But we're also called to the good news that God has set us free to live a godly life, to live a godly existence in this present age. Did you notice that? In the present age, not in the future glory, not in heaven, but in the present age, we're to live a godly life. And this is good news. As a matter of fact, it's such good news that it adorns the gospel. It puts the frame around the masterpiece so that the world sees our lives, and God says that when we live godly lives, that the world will take note of that, and they will glorify God on the day of his visitation, on the day of his return. They may not believe in God, but every knee will bow at some point. And every knee will bow to, to the God, the God of the universe, because they will take note of his followers, his people, who have bowed their lives to him and lived godly lives. So we're called to adorn the gospel of God. How do we do that, church? We do that through godliness and righteousness. This is what we're called to. And if you want to know what the definition of godliness and righteousness is, that is to say, if you want to know what the actions are, read the Bible. You will find out what God has called us to do. So we are to adorn the gospel of God. We are to do so with godliness and righteousness. And then last but not least, we're to do all of that with zeal. Can you say zeal with me? Zeal. We're supposed to do that with enthusiasm. Can you say that with me? Enthusiasm. You see, many people see the laws and the statutes and the commands of God as burdensome. And the Bible actually addresses that critique. It says that the laws and the commands of God are not burdensome. <laughs> it's amazing, right? And so the, the, the commands of God are not burdensome. But listen, they're not burdensome when we understand their place. This is a really important lesson for all of us to understand. The the holiness or the righteousness of God's people is not designed to earn our salvation. If it is, the laws and commands of God are burdensome, amen? But when we understand that our lives lived in righteousness, lived in godliness, actually put the frame around the most beautiful masterpiece the world has ever seen, it becomes a great joy to do what God says. Can I get another amen? Amen. See, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. When we live godly lives in a way to praise God, in a way to adorn the gospel, to frame in the masterpiece, godliness is not burdensome. Godliness is not burdensome. It becomes a joy for each and every one of us. How many of you like singing songs to God? Show of hands, raise your hands. You like singing songs to God. How many of you feel that that's just a great burden? Exactly. See, godliness should be the same way as our songs. It should be a joy for us to come into the presence of God, living righteously and living holy lives. Right? So this is so important. So we're all called to adorn the gospel of God. We're all called to do, thro- do so through godliness and zeal. Uh, godliness. We're to do that with zeal, not begrudgingly or religiously. Not begrudgingly or really, oh, I gotta serve Jesus again today. That's, that's not the way this works. It's, it's I get to. This is the same thing with when we come together uh, to, to fellowship with believers. I get to, not I have to. I get to. It's such a, a beautiful idea. Now, I want to I wanna take a brief second before I get into kind of dogging on men for, for the rest of our time. Because trust me, it's, it's going to hurt some. Anyway, but whatever. It's smile. I'll, I'll have, gladly have a conversation with you face to face afterwards. But anyway, so, so here, here's what I want you to, want you to see. I, wa- I want you to think about this with me. If you're to walk into a room and you're to see pictures that are hung on the wall, Uh, That have no frames, and by that I mean pictures that are not designed to be frameless, like those wraparound canvases, okay? But you go into a room, and you see pictures without frames. What's the emotion that you have, or what's the feeling that you have? They're incomplete, There's something unfinished about this. There's a spiritual point that you need to understand about this. You see, when Christians, when all they do is profess that they believe in Jesus, all that they do is tell people that they should believe in Jesus, but they do not adorn the gospel. They don't live godly lives. We are pictures without frames in our life. We walk around touting the Mona Lisa, but we don't frame it in. And everybody in the world is uncomfortable with it. Everybody in the world feels it's incomplete. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's really important because when you walk into a room and you see a picture without a frame, you go, something's amiss here. Something's amiss. But when it has a frame, it's amazing. You take a deep breath. The world sees this. All they see over and over is they see a bunch of masterpieces walking around with no frame, and they feel awkward about it. Now, the world has a term for our awkwardness. The world has a term for our picture without a frame, and that term is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Because what we do is we go into all the world, and we preach the gospel, and we don't live it. We go into all the world and we command everybody everywhere should repent, believe, obey, and then they look at our lives under the microscope and go, it's nonsense. You're not, you're not living what it is that you say. You're not practicing what you preach. You see, the world sees pictures without a frame, and they are uncomfortable with it. We shouldn't write off their criticism. Not full stop, not wholesale, we should think about what they say about us. Because it could be true. Remember, Jesus came and called out the hypocrisy of the religious people of his day. That would be you and I. We, like, we're religious people. Hopefully it's a godly religion. But, but we are religious people. We are faithful people. And, and Jesus came and called out those Pharisees. He actually says that the leaven of the Pharisees The leaven that disrupts the entire batch of dough that ruins the whole loaf of bread, the leaven that he called out was hypocrisy. We need to be careful with this. We need to believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. We need to confess with our mouth that he is the only way to God. And then we need to adorn the gospel. We need to be frames around the Mona Lisa. We need to not be a bunch of hypocrites. Now, like that, I'll ask you another question. If you walk into a room and you see pictures with frames, what do you feel? Largely nothing. You know why? Because if a frame is done right around a masterpiece, you don't notice the frame, You guys encounter pictures all day long. You see them all over the place. They're framed in, and you never sit there and go, wow, that frame is beautiful. You just don't do that. Now, if you're a creative person or you love those fine things, of course, there's an exception to every rule. But we encounter pictures all the time with frames, and we don't even notice them. There's a spiritual principle here as well. And that spiritual principle is that if we believe the gospel and we confess it with our mouths and we are adorning the gospel godly way, the correct way, his way, then we will be largely unnoticeable. It's not that people won't see good deeds, but that they will attribute them to the masterpiece we frame in. You see, church, here's a really important lesson. Frames are designed to point to the masterpiece, not the other way around. The masterpiece is not designed to point to you. I'm gonna spend a lot of time on a blog this week, uh, a lot of time on a podcast this week talking about this in further detail, but I, I just wanna briefly share it with you. Listen, we have a church culture today, and listen to the songs, listen to the songs. You'll hear it all day long. The songs effectively communicate that the masterpiece is designed to glorify us. Nothing against our worship team this morning. Nothing against John Mark McMillan who wrote the song. But how he loves us is a great statement. Because God does love us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now we need to understand what that love is. And I'll have a message on that probably in the future but but the reality is it's great that God loves us but what we do in the church culture today is we sing over and over about how the masterpiece glorifies us oh he loves us oh he thinks we're special oh he sees us as so great oh it's this you know what we should do we should spend all of our time just telling the world how good he is let him glorify us when he chooses You see, the frame is designed to point to the masterpiece, not the other way around. I'm not in any way saying that the Bible doesn't communicate that God loves. That is clearly true. But that is His to communicate. That is His to profess. We profess His goodness, His glory, His everything. Amen? So this is really important. So, church, we are called to adorn the gospel not ourselves, and the gospel doesn't adorn us. We're called to adorn the gospel. We do that through godliness. We do that through good deeds. Those good deeds are to be done with zeal. Smile, please. I need some more smiles in the place. It's to be done with enthusiasm, not begrudgingly, and not religiously. This brings about so much. When we adorn the gospel, the name of Jesus is lifted high. It's just amazing, okay? When we adorn the gospel, the name of Jesus is lifted high. But there are several side effects to us adorning the gospel, which I believe impact us. Paul says them, so I'm not making them up. In verse 4 of chapter 2, he tells the older women to behave in certain ways, to adorn the gospel in a certain way. And what's the side effect? That when they do this, they will encourage the younger. Did you know that when you adorn the gospel, when you make much of Jesus, when your framework of your life, godliness, when it points and glorifies the masterpiece, it encourages those around you? That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Uh, How many of you know that it's easier to do something uh, in a group than it is by yourself? specifically going to the gym. Anybody? <laughs> right? Yes. It's much, it's much easier to do so when you have a team. Why? The team encourages one another. You see, we're a team in the body of Christ, and we're called to encourage one another. There are days, I'm just going to be extremely candid with you, there are days when um, I grow weary of doing good. The Bible made the category for me, right? The Bible says don't grow weary of doing good. But there are days when I grow weary of doing good. There are days when I don't want to do certain things. But then, here's what's amazing. I generally see another Christian doing good passionately, fervently. And guess what happens in my heart? I go... Oh, I have a job to do, <laughs> right? Like get off your duff, Nathan. You don't have. You can't do this. Okay. So, so it's really important. We encourage one another. One of the side effects of us adorning the gospel the proper way, living godly lives, is that we encourage other believers. Verse five goes on to say this. It says that the world, uh, that the word of God, the world at large, will not be able to blaspheme the word of God. As a consequent to us living godly lives, the word of God will not be blasphemed. This gets back to my illustration before of masterpieces without frames, pictures without frames. The world blasphemes the word of God when we don't live godly lives. You know why? Because the world says they're hypocrites and so is the God they serve. They're hypocrites and the word of God that they profess and proclaim that has changed them and made them a better person hasn't made them anything. The word of God is blasphemed. But if we will live godly lives, if we will adorn the gospel the proper way, then guess what? The word of God will not be blasphemed. It is not to say that people won't pick on the word of God, but it will not stand. Amen? Amen. The next piece, verse 8, he goes on. He says that our opponents will be put to shame. That is, what they say cannot stick. Now, brief, just teaching here, brief, uh, important point. Uh, our opponents will be put to shame when we adorn the gospel. We do not adorn the gospel so as to put people to shame. My neighbor, Jerry, uh, he, uh, he's still my neighbor even though I moved, you know, 20 miles away from him. But anyway, so Jerry asked me, he says, you know, the Bible says something about doing good deeds and uh, heaping burning coals on your enemy's head. And I said, it's important that you get this, Jerry. It doesn't mean that you should want to heap burning coals on your neighbor's head. That's not the point of this, right? Uh, Now, Jerry and I agree, we wish it did say that, right? But that's not the point, right? Living godly lives is not to heap burning coals on people's heads, and it's also not to put people to shame, but it will put them to shame because they're going to see something that is uh, a preaching that is practiced, right? I had a conversation with a, a member of our church this week, and I, I love this guy a lot. I think he's a wonderful dad, a wonderful husband. Uh, I believe that he's raising his kids and his family and leading his family the right way. I believe that he qualifies as this, you know, one of these older men, not necessarily in his age, but in his responsibilities. And uh, he shared with me some frustration, and he was kind of going into some details. And, and what what was probably to be a 10 minute conversation ended up an hour on the phone and it was but it was great it was mutually edifying and so we're on the phone and he was talking about leading his family and he was talking about the frustration that he had of the kind of crazy looks he gets from their neighbors and from the people around them because they have a they have a big family right they they're they're having kids and having more kids, and they love their kids, right? It's a great thing, and so they're excited about their family. But their neighbors look at them a little bit crazy, and uh, and he was like, and it gets really tiring because you're trying to do what is right. You're trying, you you feel you're doing what is right, and then everybody around you just thinks you're you're some sort of crazy person. Maybe you're Amish or something. <laughs> anyway, so, so so this is kind of crazy situation, and he didn't know he didn't know really what to do. And I said, well, it's funny. That's exactly where I'm gonna go this weekend to talk about this because Titus 2 deals with this. It says that the word of God will not be blasphemed and that our enemies will be put to shame when we adorn the gospel properly. I said, you need to stay the course. You need to do your job and keep doing what you're doing. I said, because what people say about you, their opinions about you won't stick over time. It won't stick. And, he, and the conversation stopped for a second. And he goes, man, I'm glad I called you. And I said, I'm glad you called. No, anyway. <laughs> so he said, I'm glad I called you. And he said, here's what was so encouraging about this. He was like, I'm feeling low about this. He's like, and now I just realized the rest of the story. He says, do you know even though my neighbors think I'm crazy and my kids are crazy and that I'm robbing them of their childhood and all this, he says, do you know who they go to when they need somebody to watch their house, watch their kids, take care of their stuff? Uh, Do you know who they go to when they need advice? They come to us. They go to my kids. He says, do you know what the the word around our community of our kids are? That they are some of the most highly respectable kids that you can meet. And I said, I said, That's the point, right? They lob things at you, but it doesn't stick, right? It doesn't stick. You're doing it right. Keep fighting the good fight. You see, what this father understands, what he knows, is that we're called to adorn the gospel. We're called to do that through godliness. We're called to do that with zeal. And the world might not like it, but if we will stick to it, if we will stay the course, this is the result. The people won't be able to say bad things about us the other thing that that father gets and this may be for somebody in the room i it's just been floating in my head for quite some time you know as parents i'll just i'll deal with parents completely now do you know that as parents we have a responsibility to raise adults not raise children you know the difference in that <laughs> the culture's raising children that's why we have 40 year olds that are still acting like their teenage sons right <laughs> If you want to talk to me, I'll talk to you. Anyway, so but we are, we are raising adults. By doing so, remember something very important. And that is the world is going to think you're robbing your children of their childhood. They're going to think you need to let them have fun and be more free and all this other stuff. But listen, here's what happens. If you don't train or raise adults and you just raise children... You should never be surprised when they act like children older, when they're older. Amen. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't get so mad. Because that's not your job. The Bible doesn't say raise children, but raise adults in its understanding, right? We are to train up our children in a way to go, which is to be upstanding adults, good citizens, godly men and women. Isn't that amazing? So this is something that we need to do. So that's worth the price of admission. There's my two cents. Okay, so we're supposed to adorn the gospel, to do it with godliness, and to do that with great zeal. There are many side effects to that, many uh, extra benefits. This morning, what I want to do in the time that I have left is to talk to the older men. I don't want to confuse older men this morning... With This is only to be contrasted with the younger men of verses 6 through 8. This is not to be contrasted with the office of elder in scripture. Uh, You know that Timothy says uh, that, that those who seek the office of elder seek an admirable position. They seek an honorable position. There's clearly an office of elder and then there's older people okay? There are more, you know, they've they've been more seasoned in life. They've done greater things. I'm talking to those people. I'm not talking about the office. Titus deals with the office in chapter one. He's dealing with those of us who have the greater responsibilities, those fathering responsibilities, husband responsibilities, whatever it is, in chapter two. I need you to know that there's a difference. It's extremely, extremely important. So those are the men that I'm talking about. So you don't have to have an office in the church. Uh, You are all called to this particular way of living. I want to talk to you. And the one idea that I want you to understand, if you get nothing else from today, is that uh, a godly man is designed, a godly man uh, adorning the gospel, is designed to zealously, enthusiastically accept... A lifestyle of sacrificial love. Zealously, enthusiastically accept a lifestyle of sacrificial love. This is your call. Because here's another really important point. What God calls us to is inspired to adorn the gospel. What he calls us to do is inspired. How he says to do it is also inspired. God has written us a prescription in Titus chapter 2, church. He's, older men, he's written us a prescription. He's told us what we're supposed to do. You ready for it? Go ahead and buckle your pants a little tighter, okay? Pull them up. It's going to be rough for a little bit. Okay, Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 2. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Number one, temperance. God has called us to adorn the gospel through temperance. Temperance is akin to meekness. Meekness is defined, I've defined it many times, as power under control. A biblical dictionary would give you a definition for temperance to be something like this. The absence of extremes. The absence of extremes. Here's how we as older men adorn the gospel. We make sure that we are absent of our extremes. We are not power out of control so as to hurt people. And we are not power not used so as to placate people or allow anything to happen in life. We are to be temperate. Uh, Let me give you a better picture of what this means. If we're to be temperate, it it means that we are well within a reasonable temper. To be not temperate, we all have a phrase for it. We say he has lost his temper. He went to an extreme. His power got out of control. You know what, guys? This is one really, really hard thing. Because as I come to you today and sit before you and say, this is what an older man is supposed to be, I'm challenged with that very thing this morning. Have you ever herded cats? Have you ever gotten four girls ready for church in the morning? Temperance is not first on your priority list and it is hard for me. And what is really humbling for me and what is really convicting is that I knew that this was the first point that I'm going to talk to men about and all of a sudden, I lost my temper. And God goes, I just want you to realize who you are, Nathan. Just settle down. Right? I want you to speak this. I want you to speak it in love. I want you to speak it with boldness, but I want you to know who you are. And I want you to know what you need to work on. So here's what I want you to know before I go into all the rest of them. What we're talking about here is how we adorn the gospel, not how we earn the gospel. I am not telling you older men that if you don't do these things, you're going to hell. I'm not saying such a thing. I'm not saying that if you don't adhere to these things, you are somehow out of God's will in the current moment. What I am saying to you is that you're not properly or rightly adorning the gospel. You may, in fact, momentarily be acting as a hypocrite, but you have time to work it out. You have an opportunity. The conviction of the Holy Spirit says, hey... Come back to the table. Let's do this right. Amen? Nate, can I get an amen from you? It is hard to be temperate, isn't it? Yes, it is. See, must come with the name. Anyway, so temperance, <laughs> meekness, power under control, the absence of extremes, not losing our tempers. Men, do you lose your temper with your children? Men, do you lose your temper with your wife? Men, do you lose your temper with your coworkers? Men, do you lose your temper with politics? yeah, all of a sudden I took that turn and you weren't ready for it. I know, I know, right? Are you temperate? Because we adorn the gospel this way. What God has called us to adorn the gospel is inspired. How we do it is equally inspired and the prescription says that we must be men of meekness, absence of extremes. We need to be a people who don't lose our temper. Second, 2nd we're supposed to be dignified, a man of dignity, men of dignity. Do you know what this means? It means set apart. It means to be worthy of honor. And here, I'm gonna pick on 40 year old kids again. I'm gonna pick on 50 year old children again and not men anymore. Listen, if all that your kids think of you is that you are cool, you're missing the point. You've missed the point. Your kids thinking you're cool is not what life is about. Your kids thinking you are honorable, that you are the man that they should follow into a storm, is what your kids need to see. I have this huge responsibility ahead of me because I don't have sons. So I'm I'm not teaching any boy to slay a dragon and to find his princess. But what I am teaching is four little girls what a godly man must be. And he must be a man of honor. He must be a man of honor because I don't want my daughters picking dirt bags. That's why I'm arranging their marriages. But I don't want them picking dirt bags. I want them picking men of honor because we're supposed to be a dignified people. Guys, it's, it's time we grow up and leave cool behind. It doesn't freaking matter anymore. What matters is that people see us as men of God who will do as he asks. That's our call. What we're called to do is equally inspired as how we're to do it. Temperant, dignified, sensible. I haven't even gotten to the hard part yet. Oh, gosh. Sensible. Sensibility means to be reasonable. It means to be understanding. We actually all know this deeply profoundly we don't need a definition for it think about this if I was going to the zoo with my family and I was going to spend the whole day there would it be wise to wear a pair of wingtips no no Uh, women if you went to the zoo all day with your family should you wear heels no you shouldn't and what is our phrase our phrase is hey you should wear sensible shoes don't we say that Say, you should wear something that's sensible. You should wear sensible shoes. See, here's what it means to be sensible as older men of God. Don't point at your wives right now. I'm talking to you, right? Here's what it means to be sensible men of God. It means that you are applicable. You are useful in the right way in the right circumstance. You're useful in the right way in the right circumstance, sensible men if they get into an argument sensible men take a step back and say okay are are we getting anywhere with this argument are we moving forward are we doing anything young men don't that's why i'm making the transition anyway but sensible men understand these things sensible men know when their children are just being um how do you say it irrational because they're hungry can i get an amen Moms and dads, right? Sensible men know that, and they know that the irrational nature of their children is not something to fly off the handle at or to give them a correction or a swat or anything over. It's just this knowledge, wow, they're hungry. You know who knows this better than men? Moms. (laughs) Moms know this. Why? Because they spend all this time with these rugrats, and it's unbelievable, okay? And so they know, they can interpret, man, we've got to get better at this. In every area of life, are we sensible with our boss? Are we sensible with those around us when they've had a bad day? Are we sensible? Because truth be told, that's not the governing marker of Christian men today. So we've got to be this. Let's keep going. We're called to deny, or we're called to be sound in something. Sound in three things, as a matter of fact. He says we're to be sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance. Can you say that with me? Sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. Men only. Sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. Do you know what it means to be sound? This is going to take you back. Being sound means free of error. This is where it gets hard, men. Do you know how to answer your children, your wife, your friends, your life's questions about your faith? Do you know how to tell people what we believe and why we believe it? Because if you don't, you are not sound in your faith. You are not free of error in your faith. You are ignorant with respect to your faith, and I mean that with respect. You are ignorant with your, with your faith, and you cannot answer to the affirmative or to the negative. You don't know how to answer questions. Do you know who's responsible for this in the Christian household? You men. You are responsible for this. You are the head of the household. You are the one who needs to be able to give a a clearly defined answer. No, you're not supposed to say, well, we'll talk to Nate about it. Although you can talk to Nate about it, your responsibility is to be sound, free of error in your faith. And most men in the church today don't even know what we believe or why we believe it. They're here because their wife believes in Jesus, and they're just hanging out. sorry, (laughs) sound in faith, free of error. It means to keep one's graces. It means to be strong in one's faith. Men, are you strong in your faith? Do you know how to answer the questions? This should be humbling, Because the answer for me, the professional Christian is, no, I don't know how to answer all the questions, but I know it's my job and I give myself to it every day. Your answer to your family's questions about their faith is not to just bring them to a class about it. It's that you need to answer it. You know what the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians to husbands and wives? He says, wives, if you have a question, ask your husband. Oh, now I'm getting some devilish stares from women right now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a few steps back because your week's next week. Anyway, but the reality is, is that we're supposed to go to them because they're supposed to know. Men, the challenge before you today is that you need to step up and adorn the gospel properly. You need to be sound in your faith. You need to be free from error when it comes to your faith. You need to be strong in your faith. Let's move on. There's the jab. Here's the left hook. Sound in love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love celebrates in truth. It does not celebrate in unrighteousness. Are you free from error when it comes to love? Deep swallow, right? Are you free from error when it comes to love? I'm with Nate shaking my head no again but this is our call what God has called us to is inspired adorn the gospel how he's called us to do it is equally inspired so far we've learned that we need to be temperate dignified sensible sound in faith sound in our love free from error when it comes to love there is nothing more important to your wife than for her to know that you love her without error Men, if your hearts and your minds are drawn to pornography, to lust, to things that they have no business being drawn to, you are a fool with a capital F because you are not free of error in your love. And it is today that what we do is we submit to the God of the universe again. It is today that we repent of our sins and we do exactly what Jesus' prayer tells us to do. And that is to come and to say, Father, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, we are sorry. We want to adorn your gospel. We want to be the frames around your masterpiece. But Lord, we are not and we are sorry. This is what it means to be a godly older man. Last but not least, we're to be free from error in perseverance. Do you quit when the going gets tough, man? Do you? Do you? That's where it's hard, isn't it? Do you know that you don't need perseverance when it's easy? I do not need perseverance eating bowls of ice cream a fact, okay? I need more restraint, but uh, I do not need perseverance when it comes to eating ice cream. I need perseverance when it comes to saying no, when it comes to putting it aside. I need perseverance when it comes to fighting the good fight of the faith. I need perseverance when all hell is breaking loose in life, and the person that my family sees is the one who's, who's in the boat saying it will be okay. God will calm the storm. He will bring us to port. He will take care of us. I need to be that man because this is what God has called us to be. Older men, we're called to adorn the gospel. Older men, we're called to do so through godliness. This is inspired by God. Older men, we're called to do this with zeal, not begrudgingly. Not because the pastor told us to. Not because now that your wife heard the message with you, you're obligated to it. You should want to do it cheerfully and joyfully. What God has called us to is inspired, but how he's called us to do it is equally inspired. How he's called us to do it is to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance. Because this church identifies a person who is zealously enthusiastic and accepting of sacrificial love. I hope that we'll be these people. So men, I want you to stand up. Older men, not younger men. Older men, older men, please stand up. Hey, Ryan, you're a husband. You're officially an older man. (laughs) Phil, that consequently makes you an older man (laughs) because you're older. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so listen. I want you guys to look around this room. I want you to look around this room. These are the men who should be sound in their faith. I'm serious, church. I strive every day, and here's where the older man that it's not so manly to cry, everybody can kiss my butt, but uh, it's not so manly to cry, but the reality is here's what I want you to understand it is my daily goal, my life's pursuit. To be the man not only that God wants me to be, but the man that my wife thought she married, right? Every day I have to strive for this. It's not just I do, but I will on that marriage day, right? And so my job and your job is to be the men who are sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance, We are the fighters here. We're the dragon slayers. We're the ones who win the prize. Because we are the men that God wants us to be. I'm challenging you today. I'm challenging you today. I want you to be these men. And I don't want you to play games with it anymore. No more excuses, no more six hours under the video game console, whatever it is. I want you to give your heart and your life to being the people that I need you to be as well. This church changes the world. I'm not being melodramatic here. This church changes the world. When these men, you men, stand up and you be the people who are sound in faith without error in your faith. You are the people who are sound in your love without error in your love. And you are the men who are sound in perseverance. You're the ones who withstand the storm. You're the ones who do what needs to be done when it's time to do it. Amen? So with these men standing, and as we close this service, I want all the women to stretch their hands in prayer towards the, the closest one next to them, the closest older man next to them. And I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you, but I'm also going to pray that God would give us the strength to do what we're called to do. Not only the blessing, not only the, you know, the, the good things that come with doing it, but the strength to actually do it. Amen? Heavenly Father, we lift this time up to you. We lift these men up to you. I come before you uh, in, in a broken and contrite heart asking that you would make us the men you've called us to be. God, your word has not just said, what we're supposed to do, adorn the gospel. But you have told us how to do it. And I pray, Lord, that you would give the blessings of those wise older men, those strong older men, those men that die on the battlefield for their family and for the people that they love. I ask that you'd give us the strength. I'd ask that you'd give us the blessings of that. I ask that you'd give us the wisdom on how to do it. Father, I pray that these men would see each other this morning and that they would see who gets to hold them accountable that they would seek out that accountability, that they would have a a desire to sit down for coffee with one of these other older men or uh, for something, for dinner with one of these other older men and asking them the tough questions. How are you doing? How are you fighting the good fight of the faith? How are you being without error in faith, love, and perseverance? Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts today that we would do what you've called us to do, to do what you've called us to do. God, if this is what happens today, if nothing else changes but these men take their place, their rightful place as older men in this community, sound in faith, love, and perseverance, we will flat out change this community. We will change the the people in this church. We will change those who are impacted by this church. We will change our families, the next generation of our families. We will change many, many things if we will do what you've called us to do. So, Father, we, we come to you. We humbly submit ourselves, these older men. We, we, as older men, humbly submit ourselves and say, Father, you teach us. You guide us. You instruct us. You empower us. We want to be the people you call us to. Be. In Jesus' great name. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at PiercePoint.org for more information.